Our scripture this morning comes from John 18, verses 15 through 18 and 25 through 27. Simon Peter and another disciple followed Jesus. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he went with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest, but Peter was standing outside at the gate. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out, spoke to the woman who guarded the gate, and brought Peter in. The woman said to Peter, you are not also one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the slaves and the the police had made a charcoal fire because it was cold and they were standing around it and warming themselves. Peter also was standing with them and warming himself. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. They asked him, you are not also one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the slaves of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Again, Peter denied it. And at that moment, the cock crowed. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you. Andrew, and if you weren't here last week, you missed an incredible sermon from Andrew Chapel. It should be online. You should be able to find it on the website, and I would encourage you to uh, take a look and listen to that sermon, and I promise you'll be blessed. I want to continue this morning with a series of sermons titled, Were You There? Once again, my purpose is to help us understand what happened at that time of crucifixion to view the suffering of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, through the eyes of some of the folks who were really there. I believe that when we take time to view things through the eyes of other folk, our own understanding is increased. That the passion of Jesus, his suffering and death, is significant to us as attested to by the four gospel writers who use so much of the space and the time in their gospels to talk about these last days and these last hours of Jesus. So far, we viewed the crucifixion through the eyes of a Roman centurion, a soldier. We named him Marcus. He was in charge of the execution detail. We've looked at things through the eyes of Simon of Cyrene, who was forced to carry the crossbar for a Jesus who was too weak to carry it for himself. And then we've looked at things through the eyes of a thief, a zealot really, a revolutionary, who was crucified beside Jesus and who came to know Jesus in those last moments. Last week in Andrew's sermon, he talked about the Apostle John, John's witness to the events that were happening there at the cross and the way Jesus entrusted his own mother into the care of the beloved disciple, John. This morning, I want us to examine the events through the eyes of Simon Peter. What a character. Again, I've chosen a letter to compose a letter in the name of the eyewitness. And the letter is addressed to the Noonan First United Methodist Church, 33 Greenville Street, Noonan, Georgia, 30263. And it begins, Dear Sisters and Brothers in Christ, Greetings from Simon Peter, an apostle. This is what he wrote. He said, I welcome this opportunity, especially during this holy season of the church year, to write to you about the suffering of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, 
and the role I played in it. But first of all, just a little background. The New Testament uses four names to refer to me. Least used is the Hebrew name Simeon. The Greek name Simon occurs much more often. The other two names that I have been given, Cephas and Peter, are identical in meaning. Both mean rock. Often I'm referred to by the double name of Simon Peter. My father's name was John. In some versions of your scripture, he's referred to as Jonah. Jesus would refer to me now and then by the phrase Simon Bar-Jonah or Simon Bar-John, Simon, son of John. That was a common thing in our day. I was a married man. Paul writes about how I took my wife with me, and he writes in 1 Corinthians when I went on one of my journeys to some of the churches. And you probably remember the episode where Jesus, after teaching and preaching in the synagogue, came over to my house in Capernaum and healed my mother-in-law of an illness. My father's name was John, of course. And then there was my brother Andrew. Andrew and I were partners in a fishing business. Sometimes we are portrayed as just poor fishing folks, but actually we had a fishing business, and we did pretty well. And we kept a lot of folks fed. Speaking of my Andrew, my brother, he's the one who first introduced me to Jesus. Do you remember who first introduced you to our Lord? Was it an individual? Did you learn in your families? Did you learn in your community of faith, in your church, in this church? Is that where you first heard about Jesus, our Lord? Andrew and another Fellow was standing by the roadside one day with John the Baptist, you remember him, and Jesus walked by. And John spoke up and declared, Behold the Lamb of God. Andrew and this other guy who were there heard what was saying. They followed after Jesus. Jesus noticed that they were following him, and after a while he turned around and asked them a question, Who are you looking for? And they responded by asking Jesus where he was staying. Jesus told him to come and see. What an amazing invitation. Come and see. Come and know me for yourself. Come and experience me. And they spent the afternoon with Jesus, and something spectacular must have happened because when Andrew left that place, he ran to find me. He came looking for me. He was all out of breath, like he had been running for a long time. And he finally found me. And there was excitement scribbled all over his face. (laughs) And he said, brother, we have found the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one. And that's all he could say for a moment or two till he caught his breath. And then he said, come with me. (laughs) And he took me to meet Jesus. What a meeting that was. Jesus looked at me like he already knew me. Or certainly knew about me. I mean, really looked at me like he knew everything there was to know about me. You've experienced that look some of you have with other folks. And then he says, so you are Simon, the son of John. From now on, from this moment on, you'll be called Cephas. On the spot, Jesus named me the rock. Or Rocky. I was feeling guilty. 
and ashamed and all wobbly need in his presence. The rock is the last name I would have ever given to myself. I know now that Jesus saw some things in me that I had never seen in myself, that I didn't know were there. And from that day forward, I was a full-time disciple. And not only that, I was privileged to become one of the 12 apostles. The apostles are those who are sent. And not only that, not only one of the 12, I was one of the inner circle with James and John, two other brothers who were also in the fishing business. And when you read the New Testament, how many times does it say, Peter, James, and John went with Jesus up on the mountain of transfiguration and in the garden of Gethsemane and in other places. I saw and heard things that no other human being, no other mortal had ever seen or ever heard. And what a privilege, what a joy, what an obligation. The three of us, wow, we were in a position to be of great help and encouragement to Jesus. And we came through for him sometimes. Other times we were asleep on the job, so to speak. I was always the impulsive one. Anybody who is the least bit familiar with the New Testament, all of you will know that, that I never failed to speak up. I always had something to say. It was me that insisted on stepping out of the boat and coming to Jesus on the water. You remember that story. Let me say a couple of things about that that folk don't think about sometimes. The boat in the New Testament, especially in Matthew's gospel, represented the church. The church has always been represented as a boat or a ship. Tis the old ship of Zion is one of the hymns that you sing sometimes. And when I saw Jesus coming, when we all saw him, some of my colleagues were sure that's who it was. But my faith wavered sometimes. I wasn't sure it was Jesus. So I asked and I stepped out of the boat to get out there and make sure it was Jesus. And then, you know, I started to sink and he reached and pulled me back up. What I want us to think about in that story, what I want you to think about for just a bit, is if the boat represented the church, then sometimes it takes more courage and more faith to stay in the boat than it does to abandon the ship. So I went to Jesus and he rescued me. And then there was that incident at Caesarea Philippi, named for the Caesar, the Roman emperor, and also for Herod Philip, Caesarea Philippi. And Jesus asked the group, who do other folks say that I am? And you know those answers. Some say John the Baptist or, or one of the prophets. And then Jesus personalized it. And he turned to us and looked at us directly and said, who do you say that I am? And being the impulsive one and seldom bothering to raise my hand, I spoke up and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus was pleased with my answer on the group's behalf. And he said to me, blessed are you, Simon, son of John, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. He reminded me, and on this rock, 
I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I'll give you the keys, he said, to the kingdom of heaven. You know about keys and when somebody gives you the keys to the building, the keys to the church, that's an important thing. That's a sign of responsibility. I'll give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And it wasn't long after that that Jesus started talking about how he must suffer and die at the hands of religious folks. I couldn't believe what I was hearing that this Jesus, this Christ, this Messiah, or so I believed, and he was going to suffer and die. That's what he was telling us. And I said, God forbid, Lord, this shall never happen to you. And his response floored me. Get behind me, Satan, he said to me. For you're not on the side of God, you're on the side of mortals. You are a hindrance, you are a stumbling block. Step aside, get behind me. This Jesus I loved, suffering and dying, I couldn't comprehend it. I didn't want to hear it. I didn't believe it, but it happened. Just as he said it would, there was the triumphal entry on that Sunday, the one that you all have come to call Palm Sunday or Palm Passion Sunday. There was the confrontation with the money changers in the temple. There was a last supper. There was the Garden of Gethsemane where his soul was pressed in that place called the Olive Press. There was the arrest. And then there was my Denial, even now, forgiven as I am, it's so hard to write about this. Three times, so many things happened three times. Let me tell you that back in my day, back in antiquity, writing instruments and tools were not very common. So to say something three times was to say that it happened continuously. Over and over and over again. Three times he had called me to follow him. Three times, continuously, he had taught me things that no other mortal had ever seen or heard. Things that no one else could or would. Three times. He loved me more than a brother. Three times I said, I don't know him. Continuously, I kept saying, I don't know him. And then that rooster crowed, and it sounded like the cheering and hissing of every demon in hell. There's no way to tell how horrible I felt. And at the moment, I thought it was all over. For me, for Jesus, for the whole plan. The next morning, they let him out to crucify him. I kind of hung back in that processional, trying to travel incognito, still being driven more by fear than faith. And when they got to the place of crucifixion, I watched from a safe distance. That is where no one would see me or recognize me. I remembered those other times that he had looked at me I didn't want him to see me. I didn't want to meet his eyes at this moment. The night before when they brought him out 
of the high priest house out through the courtyard of Caiaphas and taking him to the hall of judgment and justice where the governor Pilate would be. And as he crossed that courtyard, our eyes met. And I was thinking right now about all those times. And I was thinking about that first time our eyes met. And he nicknamed me the rock. And right now the rock was crumbling. And it was like gravel or sand. Thank God what appeared to be the end wasn't the end. But if I had it to do over, I would have told all three of those folk, yes, I know him and I'll follow him anywhere, even if it's to a cross of my own. Every day you have the chance to affirm him or to deny him. I hope that you've learned something from my mistake. I hope, I hope, I hope. And then the letter assigned Simon Peter a rock resting on the rock of ages. And then he put a little PS on it. And if you want to check that out, when you get some time, just read through chapter 10 in the book of Acts. Cornelius was a Gentile, a centurion, an army officer for Rome. And he had this vision and this angel appeared and told him to get over to Joppa. And there was a Peter over there staying with another Simon, Simon the Tanner. And about that time, I went up on the roof to pray. And I had a vision and there's a sheet like a curtain lowered. And on the curtain were pictures of all these unclean animals, things that a Jewish guy like me was not supposed to eat or touch. And a voice saying, take and eat. And he said, I can't do that. I said, I can't. It's against my religion. And then later some folks showed up from, uh, from Cornelius' house. And they said they had been sent. And they took Peter back. And Peter, me, said, we want you to come back and see Cornelius. And I thought, I can't go into the house of a Gentile. I can't do it. Folks are different. And we're better. And we look down on other folks. And we exclude other folks. Sometimes I know that, but we're better. But I went. God sent me in that direction. And I got there. And I went in that house and Cornelius told me about his prayers and I told Cornelius about my vision. And that's when I made that statement, truly, God shows no partiality. And then I started thinking back to that day when he was crucified, that day when he died. And it became clear to me as it never had before. He didn't just die for folks who were like him. He died for the whole world. Amen.